Hi everyone and welcome back to Straight Up, your regular dose of juicy music industry intel from the scene's most powerful players, brought to you by journalists Kathleen Johnston and Eleanor Halls. We hope you enjoyed our last episode with Ed Sheeran's manager Stuart Camp, which was so entertaining it ended up making news headlines from Fox News to Vanity Fair, and it was quite a nice surprise waking up, turning on Greg James on Radio 1 one morning and hearing our voices coming out. Yep. Very, very exciting. And this episode is also an incredibly special one. We actually recorded it live at the all-female members club, the Albright in Mayfair, in front of a really incredible audience at the very end of September, which was for a, a Women in Music event that we hosted. And it was honestly stunning. We're so excited for you guys to hear the conversation. Our guests are two of the most important women working in music today, none other than Tapones Wemabunga, Head of Publicity at Columbia Records, and Claire Costa, who is Head of Publicity at Atlantic Records. Between them, Tappy and Claire have worked with everyone from Ed Sheeran, Beyonce and Jay-Z, to Wizkid, Charlie XCX and Coffee. They are real leaders in the industry and we've been desperate to have them on the pod ever since we met them a couple of years ago. We really have. And this time we talked about mentorship, the importance of women taking charge in male-dominated spaces, and also how the music business needs to listen to women, and particularly black women, at this very crucial juncture in our culture. Because as Tappy said so well, 2020 is the year it all changes. Stick around after the chat to also hear me and Kathleen debrief on some of the musicians we interviewed this month for GQ and The Telegraph. And please do rate and review as it really helps people discover the pod in the charts. If you have any guest suggestions or burning questions for next time drop them in the review or shoot us an email at hello at straightuppod.co.uk enjoy the episode so hi everyone thank you so much for joining us today at this very special live recording of straight up podcast here at the albright mayfair as you may or may not know the albright is a women's members club with their london outpost being here in mayfair on maddox street and as those of you who are here can see, it's the most beautiful space ever, and we feel very lucky, so thank you very much to the Albright. So um, Kathleen and I want to put on this event because ever since Me Too, we've noticed this amazing movement of women celebrating each other, supporting each other, uplifting each other um, more than ever before, more obviously than ever before. I think totally gone is that damaging trope of the bitchy woman conspiring against her female colleagues in the workplace. I personally, and I'm sure you'll agree, the women in the room, have never felt more successful than when I'm respected and supported by my female co-workers. Um, and this is so important, particularly in male-dominated workspaces. I'm sure we all have our own personal experiences of working within those. Um, and, you know, the music industry is a particularly male-dominated space. Kathleen and I have lost count of the number of times that we've turned up to events being the only female music journalist in the room. The podcast is obviously born out of a desire to have more women speaking about music within media because there aren't enough. And that's why we have Tappy and Claire here tonight to talk about how they got to the top of the UK music industry, obviously through the hard work and sheer talent, but also through the support of each other. And they have an insane mentorship story. It's actually what we're going to kick off the chat tonight with. How did you guys meet and how did you guys become colleagues? Um... Firstly, I'd like to say thank you for inviting me to be, to inviting myself and Claire to be um, on the podcast. Um, I am a fan of Straight Up. Um, I've listened to all of them, starting off with Austin's very, very brilliant um, podcast. So thank you. I think in music, one of the things, you know, one of the things that um, we all want is just access 
to this sort of information. So the fact that you're putting these together, whether it's women, you know, or whether it's just like the behind the scenes, you know, m music managers or whatever, um, is great. Um, yes, so thank you. Um, before I met Claire, obviously, I, I mean, how I got into the industry, uh, I was, I was, I think I was always just a little bit of a busybody, you know. <laughs> my best friend is in the room. My other best friend is in the room. But you know, it's just like ever since I was at uni, you know, we would organise fashion shows and we would organise, you know, comedy nights and and things like that. So, um, I'm originally from Zimbabwe. And if there are any other, if there are any Africans in the room, they all know it's an unspoken rule that there are only three job choices, and that's to be a doctor, a lawyer, or an accountant. And I did a degree in English, and um, and it's just like, where does that fit in, doctor, lawyer, accountant? I didn't want to be either any of those. Um, so, you know, but half like after I finished uni, I. I was stuck in that space where I just didn't know what I, you know, what I was going to do with an English degree, you know, whether I was going to teach or, you know. Um, anyway, I set out to do lots and lots of work experience. And back then, there was no legislation that said you needed to be paid or whatever. So I was the person that was traveling out of my own money, you know, paying for myself to get this experience. And I did various, you know... Um, you know, various stints until I landed at um, Warner, at Warner Music. And I started as a receptionist and, you know, I took that very seriously, you know. So, um, and reception is a really, really great way to kick off PR because you have to learn to, to speak to everyone. And did you know that? Is that why you went for that job? Because you thought that was your in? No, I just wanted to work in music. I didn't even realise that there were these sort of behind the scenes jobs, you know, I just, after having done the work experience, I just wanted to be in the space, you know, so I was writing for magazines, I was, you know, just trying to just be in the mix. So um, I started at reception, you know, I was the, the, the you know, who you saw when you came into Warner. It was the black girl that was, you know. Um, and I was just, you know, just made myself available, you know, wanted to learn everything. And obviously when people are calling, you know, and they want, you know, they've got a song, it needs licensing. Like It was a really good way of actually understanding the steps of like how broad a label is and how many jobs there are to actually keep it going. So... So yeah, I started at reception and worked my way up until eventually I got my foot in as a press assistant. How long <laughs> so was that between when you started? It was two years. Two years on reception and lots and lots of um, stuffing envelopes. You know, I'm, I mean, physical CDs, <laughs> <laughs> you know, transparencies. <laughs> So how did you the make that move world. into press? Did you apply for the job? Did you just see it come up because you were working within the industry at that point and within the label? Yeah, I mean, I bugged everyone, you know? Okay. Like, obviously, you kind of, so you know, you, you kind you of know. For. Yeah, I think after about a year, I was just like, okay, it's press. It's That's press I that do. I want to do. So you know? scoped out every and then, single Because I kind department. of looked and I was just like, I can't do business affairs. I can't do, you know... <laughs> it's not really my vibe. <laughs> it's not really my yeah. vibe. But yeah, um, I... 
and also because I had been writing, I'd been contributing to oh, nice. magazines, so it was almost like the other side of, you know. So it was, yeah, so that's, more. yeah, pretty much. And how I met Claire. Yes, hello. Thank you for inviting me on your podcast today. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. So, yeah, my journey, uh, where do I begin? So I went to uni. I went to Southampton Solent Uni. Um, I did a really prestigious degree called Writing, Fashion and Culture. That, um, <laughs> goes down really well on the CV. Um, and I, th I thought I wanted to be a journalist. And I did okay. I did fine. I probably didn't work as hard as I probably should have at uni. And I left uni. Um, figuring, I was trying to figure out what am I going to do. And when I went back home, I was applying for lots of internships at newspapers. So, like, there used to be one called the London Light, which was a freebie in London. I'd be, a, yeah, <laughs> and I'd be applying to NME or Kerrang. And most of the time, you wouldn't even get a reply. Or sometimes it was just. We a, know how that feels. Exactly. And were you and, always a big music fan? <laughs> Always a you big knew music you fan. To work in music. So I grew up in Southend on Sea, but I'd always come up to London because it's just like an hour's train ride for me. So I was always at shows, um, and yeah, I, c I couldn't quite catch my break in, in journalism, which is a, a blessing in disguise now. Um, and I actually knew someone um, very handily in A and R at Atlantic at the time, and. Um, he, I dealt with him one night and he said, would you like me to put word in with the press team? And I was like, that would be amazing. And ironically, I actually did a PR segment in my degree and I absolutely hated it. I, <laughs> I remember turning around to my friend Jen at uni saying, I'm never, ever going to get into PR. That, that is not for me. Um, this guy put me in touch with the press team and up I came to London one afternoon um, to meet with Tappy, Emma and Kate and I sat in a room and they were asking me about my musical interests and it was quite brief actually and then off the back of that Tappy kindly gave me an internship and I was like oh my god wow that's amazing um so I think I started maybe one or two weeks after yeah, that yeah and it was a four-week placement um and I learned so much including champagne and red velvet cake Fridays, <laughs> which... Um, so you told us a great story about what you guys did on a Friday. They would get out a little black book of all the, like, oh, super God. annoying journalist requests. <laughs> the like, not me and Kathleen, but, like, people <laughs> like us. Being what, be like, fair. can I get a free ticket to this and can I invite 10 friends and can I also we get, like, free travel? That. We've still wow. got that, oh, yeah. there, haven't we? <laughs> Um, We've still well, got the how folder. annoying journalists can be, so that's very fair. No, yeah. we love journalists. We love them. <laughs> we love you too. Yeah. Um, and then it was brilliant. And every time you walked into the office, it was full of energy. We worked on the same floor as A&R when I was interning. And there was always, like, it sounds really cliche, a real big vibe on that floor. Oh, Everyone really got definitely. on. There was always music I once, blurring. I once walked in. I, I once walked into the floor. I think it was your first week. And I saw Claire... Dancing with Flowrider. <laughs> Flowrider Flo had just delivered this amazing record. Really it awkward. It said something like Apple Bottom Jeans. <laughs> it was and so like, cool. we all know that. you know, he'd come and he was playing to the president of, you know, the label. And I think he had come out and said, Claire, come, come. And it was literally your first week. I, mean, I, was, I was absolutely mortified. <laughs> and, um, 
think that, I was like, I don't want to come back. No, I'm joking. How I'm often joking. does that happen? Because obviously you've, worked, you've both worked with Ed Sheeran as well as other artists. Like how often do artists come in? Like I remember you telling me a really great story about Stormzy coming in on his little scooter. <laughs> Yeah, and just so he's always in in the office, riding around the office. He's he's an absolute delight. He's so funny when he comes in. Um, he brings a great energy to the office. But yeah, artists come in sporadically, I guess. But they do come in. So has we, Ed we do ever done a little in office performance? Yeah, he has. He has. Yeah, he has. Um, but yeah, they're kind of always coming and going, mainly with the A and R team, I guess, who are working on them with their records. Um, and obviously for promo. And promo. Is the artist-facing side of stuff the favourite part of your job? No. No. <laughs> Interesting. Is that because they can Absolutely be quite not. particular about the way that they are? We've been really fortunate. Well, I've been very yeah. fortunate with the artists that I've worked who I absolutely adore. And I count myself very lucky um, on that front. I, I guess there are some PRs who, who don't feel so fortunate, maybe. Um... Is it a long journey to build that relationship with your artists as the publicist? Like, how do you actually build the bond with the person that you're essentially working for? Yeah. I mean, I guess it's like any relationship, mm. you know? Like, you, everybody has to work at building trust, building confidence, you know? I always have to sort of present myself as somebody that they can you know, use as a resource. You're on their side. You know, I'm on their yeah. side. And I am, you know, I, I do understand. No, but the having somebody come in and all of a sudden start to say, you know, whatever it, you know. This way and this way. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, so I think it's just like any relationship um, to try and have those conversations yeah. very early. I, I, for one, always want to know what someone's, idea of success is out of a PR mm. campaign you know out of a PR yeah is, I'm so just like what, what does success mean to you you know exactly move in the correct way yeah exactly. that, that's so subjective to each artist um and they really do differ yeah so yeah it's really interesting when everyone has their own story right yeah. even on the level of like I think as a journalist you're obviously party to how someone wants to create their narrative around who they are and why they're on the scene and where some people, for example, anything that might be like a little bit hedonistic or a little bit like off the wall and like party based is like, no, we don't want to talk about that. That's like pressed down. We're talking specifically about this side of it. For other people, they like really embrace that and their whole vibe is that they're yeah. like a party artist. Mm, it just yeah, exactly. depends and you must have to really mm. work to find exactly what you want their story to be because then you're essentially projecting that onto people like ellie and i and the other people that are writing yeah. about the artists you really are the person responsible for crafting exactly how I mean, the press received them not everyone wants to be front page of the sun yeah. or the daily star or the they don't want to be in the gossip columns. they don't want to be yeah but some people do some yeah. people yeah. generally want you know some people are like i was at the event why isn't my picture like do you have that conversation early on like are you like are you a yeah, daily mail what... sidebar of shame kind of artist <laughs> or not, are no. you like a like enemy artists will pay for that titles right? i mean some people will pay to be in like yeah people pay for the sidebar of shame. of shame that's a real thing 100 percent. i saw that on twitter the other day no comment <laughs> that's a classic line no comment no comment yeah. <laughs> No comment. no comment. That's the no thing. It's going to be hard to get stuff out of you two because you're literally trained. <laughs> no comment. Tell us nothing. Like bad jobs. <laughs> no comment. No comment. But I think what a lot of people want to know, because obviously 
you know, on paper, it sounds like you're just having dinner with Ed Sheeran or like you're having drinks with Jay-Z or whatever. I mean, how, what is it like to PR some of like the world's most famous artists? Like if you take us through your day to day, is it as glamorous as it sounds? Like how much face to face are you having with these enormous stars? Um, it really depends if they're in promo cycle, to be honest with you. Um, when you're kind of in album campaign or single campaign or you've got touring, artists are more likely to be doing the promo run and, and doing interviews for you. There's always a close dialogue with your artists. I think especially being PR, you're kind of there to protect them. You're there to try and tell their story. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a weird, it's a weird one, isn't it? It's a weird yeah, one. it is. But I'm going to be really honest with you. Like, this is 2020. I literally have been in my house mm. <laughs> doing that. You're on mute. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So anyone who thinks that, you know, like it's all sort of hanging out with artists, I've been in my, like, I've been in East London. I haven't done an in-person interview yet, actually, since March. I was meant to have one this week on Monday, and the artists in question, actually, they were in their pyjamas, they didn't want to come out, we did it on Zoom, and it was great, but okay. it was, yeah, I haven't had an in-person Exactly. Get together. Everything's been exactly. Zoom-based. Obviously, yeah. as you say, PR's doing their job very sensibly on mute on in the mute, background, in listening, the background. Absolutely. but not. <laughs> in all, uh, I mean, in all seriousness, you know, yes, we are usually one of the first departments. We're usually one of the first departments that start with the artist because it is about getting the story you know and one of the things that I really loved about Claire because she was so passionate about music you know she would always come with like a little antidote to say this is what the artist is loves outside of the music whether they were into football or whether they were you know and we would spend you know a lot of time trying to construct like when we come to you you know to pitch something it wasn't just there is an album coming mm. you know this is the single and the single is about, it was about just providing like a holistic sort of overview mm -hmm. in terms of why, why is this artist at this particular time so important? You know, like what, what is it about? So yes, it, that, that does put us in a really sort of privileged position in that we are able to, um, you know, start the relationships with, with talent quite Absolutely. early on. But usually yeah. Yeah, first. first out the gate. Yeah. Definitely first out the gate. This episode of Straight Up is sponsored by Beja London, the beautifully inclusive lingerie and swimwear brand for all cup sizes from AA to 36H. It was created by two London-based sisters who pride themselves on their commitment to making women feel happy and content in their bodies. Beja London felt like a particularly fitting brand to support our live recording at the Albright, giving the focus on empowering women and our almost exclusively female audience. Although to the two men that were in the room that night, we appreciate you, of course. Uh, their range features feminine modern classics with a fuss-free aesthetic and some seriously fantastic colours. I'm actually very into the red for Christmas, um, offering different styles of bra depending on your cup size, which coming from a long-time Beja customer like me, I promise you makes all the difference, uh, whether your bust is on the smaller side like mine or... Or the much larger side like mine. As someone who has struggled to find well-fitting bras actually look nice on a bigger bust, believe me when I say that Beja is a game changer, 
particularly if you struggle like I have with super painful underwiring. Um, if you're unsure of your bra size, then they offer free 20 minute online bra fittings from the comfort of your own home. And don't worry, at no point will you actually be braless. Straight Up listeners can get 15% off their first order from Beja by entering Straight Up at the checkout. Their website is www.beja.london, Beja spelt B-E-I-J-A, and yep, that discount code is simply Straight Up at the checkout. Thank you so, so much to Beja. So... When you've, when you've got a mentor in mind, because I'm sure a lot of people do, have lots of people in the industry that they respect, um, how do you get in touch with them? Um, I mean, for instance, Tappy and Claire, you both, I'm sure, have lots of people starting out in the music industry emailing you. Like, what is it about that email that catches your attention? Because I'm sure you get many. And what is it that, about them that makes you decide that you'd like to be their mentor? And how do you keep that relationship going? I think running a team and, and being a manager, you want to be a mentor for your whole for your whole team. So that's first and foremost in terms of the staff that are already there. You have to be that pillar of support. And is your team mostly male or female? Um, it's it's a mix. So it's myself, and then there's two guys, Josh and Thomas, and then there's two girls, Jen and Brooke. So yeah, it's it's a real mix. I think. Um, do we get a lot of CVs come in? Sure. I remember one guy once put a tea bag on the top of his seat. He, I actually got it physically and he was like, make a tea while you just sit through my... And I was like, oh my God, I actually like paid attention to this TV. And it really worked, as gimmicky as it was. Thanks. And I actually, I actually met with him. But I think it's... <laughs> <laughs> and? and? He, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't get the job, unfortunately. Oh, but so he had he the was CV, really, He was good. Not. He was really passionate. He, he was really passionate. Attention. He caught my attention and I think... He got the meeting. He got the meeting for sure, and um, people would send in when we worked at GQ. We'd get like full mocked up GQ covers from interns, which was wow. cool. Yeah, That's yeah. Crazy. I, th- I think yeah. it's knowing like what company you're. It sounds wrong saying pitching, but applying to kind of why yes. why do you want to work here? And I think that that plays dividends in the end for me. Yeah, um, I, I mean I am. A massive fan of mentorship full stop you know in a 20-year history of um, of working you know for across major labels and media companies I have definitely meant I can't give you a number you know um, but I think it's really really important um, uh, and it's not just a case of you know from the top down I certainly have learned from people who are my peers and people who are coming up. Um, Austin Dabo said, like, today's intern is tomorrow's head of department. Like, Absolutely. Exactly, exactly. exactly. It, it, can, yeah. it can be more true. And actually, yeah. when you find the new gen come through, I'm learning so much from them, how they kind of consume. Exactly. Um, well, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. So, I mean, I, I definitely, I've always surrounded myself you know, and, and I think going back to the, to the idea of uh, women in music, I've always had very strong female relationships. For, for me, having come to where I am in my career, I think that, you know, it's a gift, isn't it? You know, it's a gift of experience mm-hmm. and time. And if you can give that to someone who's coming up, you just really don't know 
where that would go so it, it sounds gushy but like I would not be here today without Tappy literally I mean uh, after my internship I went away and I was working at my auntie's cafe trying to figure out what to do with my life back in South End again and um I used to come back and temp um while the then press assistant Kate would be touring in her band so I was I was coming back into Atlantic every so often and then one day I was literally making a cappuccino and <laughs> my phone rang in my pinny and the number <laughs> the number true story like the, the number didn't show up and i just remember going upstairs in the cafe and i was like hello and she was like claire and i was like who's this and she was like it's tappy and i was like tappy why are you calling me she's like so um i've got you a job and i was like what um, how long had you interned for at that point at, at that time and, and they're a lot longer now but it, it was one month and then i was coming back to to 10. But you knew immediately after a month that definitely, Claire had like definitely. the X factor. Yeah, definitely. She's, you know, just like I was saying, like sometimes you just meet really passionate people, but it, it, she, she had that thing of like, she wanted to learn everything, but she also had so much that she was already bringing to the table. Like she would say, do you know this band? And I will say, yeah. Yeah, they're great. I love them. I've never heard of them in my life. <laughs> oh, no. she, she just owned like this whole section. She was like, yeah, they were the, the new band and the enemy. Da, 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 da. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll never forget like, the time either that you took, I think I'd been working at Atlantic then in my press assistant position for just under a year. And Tappy took me up to the rooftop. We had a lovely rooftop <laughs> on our old building. And she sat me down one day and was like, so... Um, I think it's time you should do student press. And I was like, oh my God, shut the front door. This Why is amazing. Student press? No, it was an elevation. It was an elevation. No, it was an elevation. I was a press assistant. I was booking travel. I was answering the phone to everyone who's calling Tappy every day. And I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. Um, but it really helped me cut my teeth. And then I kind of moved through the ranks from there. So yeah, I really owe it to Tappy. I really do. <laughs> and have you found, you mentioned before that, I, I, well, Claire, you said that you work in a majority, or when you started, you were in a majority female space. But as we were saying, there's this funny dichotomy in the music industry, I think, where it's very male heavy, but within PR, there are uh, comparatively more women working. Mm. Uh, was that something that you guys noticed? Like, what was your team looking like at that point? What was the gender split? Well, we were talking about that the other day, weren't we? And when I joined Atlantic, it was coincidentally an all-female team um, yeah. and and every boss I've had since and you know I've stayed at the same company for a number of years but every boss has been a female um, I don't I know a lot of male PRs and there's a lot of really yeah. successful male PRs in the business I, I think some PRs. of definitely some of the out of house you know, there's some very strong, independent, you know, like the outside organisation yeah. and Murray Chalmers and you know, all being headed up by men, but internally at the yeah. labels, right? There's a yeah. really, really strong sense of female leadership. Yeah. So how is so? As so. you say, like in PR, there's lots of women, but there is a problem with women getting to the top and heading up labels, which, you know, at, at the moment, this year, Ed Howard of Atlantic got, this um, has a co-president who is female who was hired on maternity leave, which is obviously really That's great. That. One of my bosses. <laughs> And, but how do we get more women at the top? Because that is something that was really um, kind of made quite stark at the uh, earlier this year. Like there aren't enough um, top level black executives and there aren't enough women at the top of the music industry. Like how do we make the music industry a much more diverse space for everyone? How do we make sure that people are being promoted right? 
how do we make it less white, stale, and male, yeah. basically, is the question. <sighs> this is a podcast, isn't it? Yes. It is. I think, I think we are... I think we're still... I think this year has been really important for the music industry and obviously the wider, the wider world. I think that if we were having this conversation maybe two years ago, there would be a different way that we would be speaking because certain experiences as a black female in a record label, it's like I have two experiences. I live how I know the world to be and then I live how people think the world is if that makes sense. Um, I think that this year has been traumatic for so many reasons. Um, and I, I think definitely for myself, you're asking me this at a time when, you know, I have done a lot of shedding. I've, like there's stuff that I didn't even realize that I was kind of holding on to in terms of my actual career. Um, conversations, opportunities missed, um, you know, there's just, there's been, there's been a lot. How do we make it better? I think this year is really, really, really key. Um, and if we can continue to have difficult conversations from the organized, like from the top down, you know, HR, um, you know, senior management, I think, I think we can put processes in place to make sure those things happen. But I don't want to just glaze over, you know, and just say that what's been happening. Because, you know, we all posted black squares. Yeah. And that was something that started specifically within the music industry. That started in the music industry by two amazing women in, in the States. And it actually, what started out, is something that was meant to be quite disruptive. It was about black executives. There is trauma. I mean, a lot of people talk about George Floyd, but for me, it actually started with Amy Cooper. I just remember being so angry, you know, watching this stuff on, online and just how she weaponized herself, you know. And I'm just like, you could literally get somebody killed and you're actually in the wrong. You're the one who's in the wrong. And it was being able to talk that through and actually highlight that to people, to, to, you know, because it's not, this is not a new conversation. This is not a new conversation. Black people in this room, black people listening in, it's not a new conversation at all, but it feels new. It's the first time you feel like the general white populace are actually engaging. Exactly. So it started then, and also I think COVID, I, I just, I, I find it really, almost like I find it rude. If you and I have not spoken in a year or two, and you say, hey, I want a coffee, I want an interview with coffee, without asking me how I am, if my parents are still alive, or if, you know, how do you know what I mean? 2020 like, has actually 2020's been... been really, really real, so... Um, yeah, so in answer to the question, I'm trying to answer the question. I, like, I think we're here now. I think I've been really impressed by, you know, I've been, I've been despite the fact that I've been going through my stuff, like mm. Sony as an organisation, you know, my boss, um, Ferdy, 
Unger Hamilton, he started this process where he would want to have conversations about race. And, and I could see it was really uncomfortable for him. So you do feel a sea change, a real sea oh, change, God, yeah. not just oh, a no, kind of... That's, that's why I'm saying, like, yeah. I, I think that this year has been so, so important because people are really genuinely checking themselves. Mm. And I can, mm. I can see it's like people would rather do something and get it wrong and be open to be mm. told, actually, this is, you know, than just to, to stay quiet. Yeah, for sure. And I do you that's feel that that change. kind of diversity within the labels, within the music industry, then is visibly is visible then when we're hearing music or looking at rising stars, like how much does what's on the inside in terms of greater representation affect what we as music fans are seeing on the outside and support for female or black artists or artists of all, of all types? Yeah, I think ultimately we tap into all elements of, of yeah. culture and we need a workforce that's um, representative of that. I think just to echo what, what Tappy yeah. says, the company that I work for, we're definitely opening up the discussion more and more. And I think the important thing now, it's deeply saddening that it got to this point before yeah. kind of real change has come. But we need to keep the conversation going. We need to keep educating people and we need to diversify. And it's on all of us to do better and keep yeah. that conversation going. We, we absolutely cannot let that go. For sure. I mean, now, as we all know, is the time for white people to do the work. Black people have been doing the work for, you know, decades and decades, centuries. Like, now is the time for the white community, particularly those of us who work in industries that profit off black culture, be that in music, especially at the moment. I mean, you know, British music has always been intrinsically tied with black British music, but especially now when we see this huge explosion in black British artists who are you know, owning the industry, mm. it really is yeah, time. Like black culture any, is pop culture yeah, in the UK. Like, I think it's a, it's a point of reckoning. And I hope, like you say, that that translates well and like vibrates across the industry rather than being a one-off thing. And these conversations become meaningful and, you know, they have, have a long lead. Like you say, it's about hiring from the top. It's about diversifying workplaces and I don't know for you guys I know obviously the media is an incredibly elitist very white industry Absolutely. and that needs to change like that goes without saying that you know there should be black people telling the stories of black artists there should be you know yeah oh, sorry, go on. no sorry I didn't want to <laughs> no you, you go, no, you go. you're absolutely I right I just ranting. I mean the thing is it's like you know we work in culture so I just always, and like I said, I'm only 21, but I was an <laughs> overachiever. So I just remember starting out 20 years ago and being in a room full of white men and being the only black person, you know? Mm. And we were talking about artists like, oh God, like changing faces, like, oh, Brandy, you know? And it's just like, and we would have these conversations and, and obviously as a, as a younger person, I'm looking up to these men that are making these decisions about this music and, and this is why this year has been just a year of so much because I just remember hearing black music doesn't really sell in the UK. Black artists don't sell magazine covers. Um, what else? Just, and it was just standard. And you, you know? were there in the room. And I'm just there in the room and I'm just really like, so hold on a second, you've got somebody like Missy Elliott, who's like the most 
innovative, like in terms of where she was, I worked uh, from Missy So Addictive, that album, right up to, you know, I think album six. So cool. And, you know, and she was coming out in like black bin liners and she was, you know, she was so different from everybody. And if there was social media, Missy Elliott would be queen, right? But they would just be like, no, you know, black women don't sell magazines. So now I, I literally, you know, when I see Lupita on the cover of a mag, I'm just like, it's such a, it's such a land, like it's, it, I still get really, you know, because it's just undoing all of those things. And I didn't have anybody to talk to. I didn't have anybody mm. because everybody was white and male, you know. You had no like, colleagues to actually I, bounce Who off. do I say this so to? Did you notice a massive difference, for instance, at the moment you're working with Coffee, who is this incredible rising star. Have you noticed a big difference in the sense of the willingness from either the press or the people that you're working within, with, within the music industry to champion Coffee versus, like, say, Missy, someone like Missy Elliott, both very unique artists operating. Um, I think I think that um, you know, we're time. Yeah, there's. It it would be easy to just answer the question and say yes, there is a willingness, but there's lots of moving parts that have had to happen. I think the internet explosion. I think social media. You know, the idea that actually, if if magazine editors didn't want to do that, she's got a following of maybe yeah. bigger than half of the magazines that I'm actually pitching for because the yeah. old world would say you need to be... There are certain things in the old, you know, that you would say, this is how you decide an artist is, is breaking. You know, uh, BBC Soundpole, uh, Sunday Times Culture, Breaking Act, those sort of things, you know. And actually, there are so many artists that haven't had any of those things that have got an audience of triple, quadruple those publications, you know. Someone like Doja Cat, for instance, exactly. had a massive social media following and the press yeah. came after, and yeah. I can even get an interview with her. But, but yeah, we, like, the press came after her, which is a really interesting mm. point. Like, I definitely have felt in the last few years, like, there are some artists that press definitely want to interview, but they don't need You come too late to the game. We're, like, chasing now. them. Yeah. Someone like Billie Eilish, for instance, doesn't need any press at all. And it's super hard to get her. Young artists, I think, as well, they build their followings on social media. Yeah. So while traditional press is really important to kind of um, solidify who they are, people are telling their own stories through their own platforms Absolutely. in a way that just wasn't Absolutely. happening 10 years ago. No, um, absolutely. Is that something uh, with artists who have their own social media channels, which they're really active on, is that something that you've noticed as being maybe, um, I don't know, maybe not friction, but something that you deal with in that you're setting a story and they're setting a story and how do you kind of coalesce on that when they are being them on social media, but you have quite a specific idea of how you would like to push this person within, like you say, perhaps well, the tabloids or yeah, uh, think the broadsheet press? as a kind of launch. I think that goes back to the point that we were talking earlier. Like, we, we start very early, so I, I haven't actually had that... Been in that situation. In that situation, because mm. I kind of know who does what, mm. you know? And if an artist blows out interviews 
more than three or four times, I kind of know that they're not interested and that's not and the way. And you then say, and okay, yeah. they're not someone that cares about press, so yeah. we're not going to prioritise that and as part of their campaign that's yeah. interview-based. Yeah. yeah, and and also, actually, I'm, I'm sort of being sensational, but normally we have those conversations. It goes back to what does success look, look like, like for you? Mm. You know, somebody might just want to, you know, success is, you know what, I just need to know that when I get up and, uh, you know, gig, you know, I can pay my rent mm. and I can, you know, I can do all of those things. Uh, sometimes <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to, uh, actually I will. Yeah. <laughs> so Please do. I remember asking a certain gingerhead kid with a guitar, he used to sleep on people's floors, like, what does success look like? And he said, he just wants to play stadium gigs. You know, he just wants to play. And, um, and I said, okay, and, and what about press, you know? Because I, I, I can see that, you know, there is a story there. And he said, I want to be on the cover of Rewind. So did you say, FYI, you also need to be in the Daily Mail and take everything else that goes along with that to have that kind of exposure? Or? No, because that, that, that's a real sort of indication in terms of what kind of artist. He wanted want, yeah. to get the cosign from the... You know, from, from the, the pe like the music yeah. community at that he time. He wants to be cool, yeah. basically. He well, no, as in, as in, rewind was definitely a title that was a tastemaker. It was a, it was where you found. It was a discovery point. You know, but, I mean, my introduction to that certain artist as well was from <laughs> uh, SBTV with him doing like exactly. a like exactly. the I can't exactly. even remember their name now. The eyes yeah. red cover that was yes. like that Bristol three piece who were like actually incredible but now no longer around maybe well maybe they are sorry if they're not but it was like he did like a niche cover yeah. on what was like a kind of is that an underground old platform at the behind time. him in the video like jamar edwards just filmed him like in some horrible i don't know where they were but just showed like and even now to this day ed is someone that like oh god i just gave it away sorry guys <laughs> but ed is someone that like has completely trumped like what the music industry expects of him. Um, you know, he like performed at the Glastonbury introducing stage, like in his socks, his like guitar broke. Like how, how impactful do you think has he been on the way that you rep artists in terms of him just being completely himself and his work ethic is like second to none. I remember him saying that he, I think he did like 300 gigs in his first year and he took James Blunt's diary and like looked to see how many gigs he'd done in that year and then was like, <laughs> I want to do more than that. And he did. I mean, he, he's definitely the most hardworking artist I've ever met in, in my life. He's hugely ambitious. He's hugely successful and he's hugely talented. And he's got a really great team around him, Stuart, his manager, Gabby. They're all brilliant. It's one of the nicest teams. We realised we had interviewed every single person on uh, Ed Sheeran's team. No, we discussed this all the yeah. Like he's kind of rerouted the music industry, particularly like no, I think he's just authentically himself, and he doesn't compromise on that. And it, you know, look how successful he's become. He's he's never compromised, and he's can done you, it all his own Can you media train? Because I know, obviously, like your jobs, you'll have to like media train artists. Obviously, Kathleen and I have seen what what that's like when we get like the same. I think he's, he's so savvy. Artists. I prefer he's not to answer that yeah. actually. Yeah, he's so he's so savvy. He's he's so clued up. Um, I think just to be an artist in today's today's climate, I think authenticity is the currency. Yeah, mm, sure. you know. And I think Ed, um, 
is you know is a real example of that. You know, he's not. He doesn't. Kids are clever, yeah, yeah, especially nowadays. Exactly. They see right right through it. Exactly. They see right through it. But just all you know, just some of my favourite you know artists. Um, I I look after an um, an artist called Rosalia, <gasps> and she queen. you know again you know it's just everything from flamenco and just weaving these stories of like part history, but mm. also just how she grew up in the part of Spain that she grew up. You know, when you come with something that is really authentic, you know, it speaks, it speaks volumes. And she was actually, again, you've taken my phone because I had put all the lines. <laughs> had your star. Right, but... She was the first non-English speaking artist to get into Soundpole. So she came in at number four. Wow. Um, and again, you know, for these records to travel the way that they do, it's, it's just because it's authentic. And there's been a huge sea change, I think, in that, in that American or British music kind of dominated the English speaking yes. uh, music scene. Whereas now, obviously, artists, incredible artists from the continent of Africa are coming through. Like you say, Rosalia, who's Spanish and does most of her music in Spanish. As we've discussed, you do Davide, you do Wizkid. Like, yeah. how has that shift been for you to see? I imagine when you were starting out, it was very, not just white, but also just very European and very American-centric. Yeah. Now there is this explosion of like, and I'm gonna do this in quote marks for those who can't see, but global music. Yeah. And you're PRing artists that might have once been considered niche to a huge global market. Yeah. Like, what's that shift been like? You've seen it all change. But that's what I'm saying. Like, 2020 has literally just been like the year of... So you think it's you know, this like year? Been the, well, I mean... Music, there's been a movement. Mm. It's constant, right? But just 2020 has been a year where I'm just, I genuinely remember in 2005, like when MTV launched in Africa, um, that was the first time that people in the continent of Africa could see other videos. So if you were from Nigeria, you could be shown in Zimbabwe or Tanzania or South Africa. And that was like the beginning of this sort of pan-African transatlantic. And combined with social media, you know, you started to have, you know, uh, I remember the first video that they played on MTV Base Africa was by a, a man called Two-Face. And it was, uh, it was a, a track called African Queen. I'm so incredibly blessed to work, to have worked with, you know, artists like Wizkid and Davido, because the, these, and, you know, and Claire works, Burner Boy signed to Atlantic, and these three men are like the giants of, of Africa. Yeah. And like Burner Boy's album, the fact that when Chris Martin came on his album, yeah. Ed Sheeran's collaborated with him, and it doesn't feel like Burner Boy is trying to get a bit of them. Like they are definitely they trying to get at him. They're trying to get exactly. on exactly. his album. Yeah, and that definitely. is, I think, quite landmark in the yeah. way. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, and to be honest, we have to just tear up the rule book. Yeah. And do you think in terms of better representation generally within the music industry, specifically, I guess, on the, on the business side, which both of you are, rather than the artist-facing side, is do you, like, I know it sounds like common sense almost, and I'm sure every person in this room would agree with me when we're like, education, education, education. But what do you think is really the key to making it, like we say, less, like, white, less male? Is it really just introducing better 
uh, internship schemes so that we get people right from the start and we grab hot talent in the same way that you did with Claire? Or is it, you know, uh, fast-tracking people right at the top? Or is it both? You know, what do you think is kind of our way? Like you say, the conversations this year have never been more important, but how do we actually action that within businesses? I think a large part of it starts from entry level Mm. and we're definitely broadening the net more so than ever now. And, you know, we're going into universities, we're tapping... But that said, it doesn't mean you necessarily need a university Mm. degree to come in. It's just changed kind of the entry point to to when I started. It was a bit more, I guess, free when I started. Did you need a degree when you started? No, I mean, I I literally... You just had to be a music fan. Yeah, I guess... So what jumped out to you? On Claire's CV, oh, I'm saying. It was just the yeah, passion for the bands. Definitely the passion, but also she's really fucking organised. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so organised. Like, like, literally, yeah, she, you know, it was just like, she's one of those people that's like, I can't... Where's Claire? Like, you need Claire to organise the diary. Everyone takes Claire. a mickey out of me at work still because I literally colour code. Like, if I've spoken to a journalist and it's a yes, it's yeah. a green. If I've reached out to them and pitched them, it's a yellow. If it's a no, it's a red, like... Everyone's Honestly. like, you're insane. Yeah. <laughs> but I can't help it. It's yeah. just like, it's just the way I am. Yeah. I, I wish I wasn't sometimes. But. <laughs> yeah, but that's why you're so great at your job, right? So can you each tell us kind of how, obviously you've jumped through so many hoops getting up to the, work, the positions that you are now, which actually, interestingly, you now have the same job title at competing labels. Is that... Is that yeah, a, but I, t- Tappy wears... Taffy 100% wears the crown on that. Yeah. <laughs> 120% wears the crown on that. But how do you, I think some, something that a lot of women struggle with in their careers is making that next big step, asking for that promotion, asking for that pay rise, particularly in spaces like the music industry or for instance journalism for us, which are male dominated and it is intimidating. Like how, is there an example that you can talk to us about where you maybe pushed yourself out of your comfort zones and took that leap and did something that you didn't think you could do in terms of getting to the next stage in your career? I think for me, there was definitely a point. I think I'd been at Atlantic for 10 years and um, I think I'd been senior for five years at the time and I was kind of thinking, what's next? And I, I spoke to my manager about it and I think always just kind of put your arguments the wrong word put your case together and and make people understand why you're deserving of a promotion and and back that up and I think also as well too many people set a benchmark on their peers or other people and my my kind of biggest advice is just do you and you're in charge of your own career trajectory and you know I think having a really kind of helpful and invested line manager is so invaluable because they can help you get from A to B and map that out for you. And then you know what you need to achieve to kind of get there, if that makes sense. And what about in terms of pay rises? Because I know, Tappy, we were talking about it before in terms of like the gender pay gap. Is that a big issue within the music industry? Yeah. (laughs) And yes. Yeah, I think it is. It is right, and like you know, we we, we all saw the uh, the report, um, especially within music. We you know it is absolutely shocking. Yeah, but you know at least now we have uh, a frame of reference. Do you just think it's skewed as well because so many leadership positions are taken by men? Like, is that kind of the bottom line, or do you think it's a lot more complicated than that? 
Maybe historically, mm. um, a lot of the bigger positions have been occupied by men. Um, it's a, I mean, there's been a, like a lot of things this year. There has been a light shone on that now. Change. And again, it's about keeping up that conversation and making sure that doesn't mm. fall through the gaps. We need more women, you know, in, in these, you know... Just having a seat at the table in the exactly. big, big conversation. But how exactly. does that change what we then... Like, how does that change things? Obviously, I know it does, but, like, how can we persuade people that different outcomes will occur? Yeah. I mean, we just lost a really huge figure, you know, in terms of the feminist Ruth... Right? RGB. And one of... Uh, yeah, exactly. And one of the things that she RGB. had said is that we need more women in places where decisions are being made. And if you have more women in places where decisions are being made, that will definitely, definitely Jacinda make a Arden difference. Jacinda Ardern, Angela Merkel definitely have weathered this pandemic better than the men. Yeah, mm. exactly. I think also, like you say, it taps into everything that we've been saying really is that diversity of thought in any business space is, well, in any space is integral, but mm. in terms of even like commercial capitalism, it's actually in anyone's interest to have more people contributing to the conversation. It's a financial imperative as well as a ethical one, but it's a very slow burn, as we all know. It takes a long time. And I guess, like you say, it is really just about, you know, getting those people in early on but mm. as we're talking about with senior leadership, like retaining how, them, how do we get people in senior leadership positions? I think especially with big corporations, you know, I've definitely taken advantage of um, mentorship programs, training it, you know, that, that's really helped me so much. Um, and I owe a lot to that. Was your internship a specific graduate program or how did No, that no, it wasn't. And nowadays, well, recently they, they kind of have been more skewed towards that. Mm. Um, I kind of put my internship down to right place, right time, mm. if I'm being honest with you. And it sounds like a real big cliche. <laughs> no, I same with me. Um, Definitely was. That, that's ultimately yeah. what, what happened to me. And I, I'm very grateful for that. And realise as well how, how lucky I am because getting jobs at major labels and really successful major labels is, is hard. You know, they, they don't yeah. come about every week or every month. You know, can each of you tell us maybe, I mean, we've heard a lot about your successes. We could hear more. But what is one massive failure that you have both <laughs> learned from? Please go first. Uh, OK. Um, in 2014, I decided to move to another country. <laughs> I basically decided to move to South Africa. Um, when I say I decided, I, was, I, I had a job offer. And this was at the time when I think Ed Sheeran was about to release his second record, which was the thing that sort of catapulted him into global stardom. I, you know, this was at a time when I was, you know, very, very sort of comfortable where I was. She um, was smashing it, basically. <laughs> very established. Um, and I just thought... I just thought, you know... I, I'm a student of life, you know, and I want to keep learning. I want to keep growing. And, you know, Africa has always been such a huge passion of mine. African music has been such a huge passion of mine. And I really do think that, you know, we've seen superstars come from every corner of the world. And they were, you know, and we've seen sort of such a vibrant um, 
we've seen a vibrant scene you know, across the whole of the continent, not just Nigeria, but South Africa, East Africa, Tanzania, you know, just all across the continent. Anyway, I moved to Joburg to take a position at MTV, at Viacom Africa, as head of talent and music. And um, that must have been so scary at the time. It was really scary. It was really scary. Although I, I think I have it was only when I came back that I realised how big, how big it actually it was. Actually you had, you was had been but at Atlantic for 14 I've been years. At Atlantic for it was 14. a really big move. It was a really big move for I you. I was like, yeah, whatever. Were you shocked, yeah. Claire, Just at the time? Yeah, and you're yeah, like, absolutely. I was like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> exactly. But, um, Literally. So I moved and um, for whatever reason, it didn't work out. You know, I thought I was going to be there for at least five years and then decide what to do. And... Um, yeah, so for whatever reason, it, it didn't quite work out. And when I came back to the UK, I felt like such a failure. I felt like, you know, I'd left all of, you know, and even though I came back into, you know, a, the role that I'm in now. But what that experience taught me was that nothing goes to waste. You know, everything that I learned in that time frame, every connection that I made in that time frame, and I don't know if I can tell you this, but I've actually... Elliot and I will always push you to... I've actually... I'm actually off starting record. a new... Off, off the record, because this is on a podcast. So I'm starting a new job. Yes! yes. So Daddy actually has a new job. <laughs> and I am... And I'm the new director of Africa for Sony. <laughs> so... So even though I came back feeling like a failure, you know, the connections and just like the insight and actually being on the ground and being at the heart of where the culture was, being at the heart of where the artists were and understanding how business is done in another territory without prejudice, without sort of saying, yeah, but where are you on the iTunes chart? Or where are you? You know, we're going to do it because, you know, streaming services... Spotify, for example, is in South Africa, but it isn't in Kenya, it isn't in Tanzania, you know? So, but those artists, there are some, you know, very, very, very successful artists in those, in those territories, so yeah. So yeah, right. so, so that's... A little round of applause for Taffy, please. Yeah. It's very major news, and we're very... Very There's a very distinct failure for this that. conversation. Exactly. <laughs> so, so full circle. A failure turned into the most incredible exactly. success yeah. that perhaps anyone has ever had in 2020. So, Claire, what is your failure? It. So, I'm going to be really honest about this. I, I worked an artist who I won't name for a really long time, probably five years. And um, we did really great things at press, basically. This artist was a bit of a press darling. We were on front covers. And for kind of reasons ultimately out of my control, um, the artist parted ways with myself, parted ways with the US publicist, had a bit of a team overhaul. And it was a campaign that I was so invested in, um, absolutely adored. And at the time, when that happened, I felt like the biggest failure in the world. It really hit me hard. And... I, I had put all my energy into it and I felt really, really, really down when that had happened to me. Did they just take the press out of house? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and what I've, you know, what I learned was 
well, what I knew already, I, I'm not the first for this to happen and I, I won't be the last. And um, it's kind of nature of the beast. And now I look back and I don't think I've, I've failed at all. And actually, we're fine. This artist and I are absolutely on great terms. Um, and I'm, I'm really happy for them as well. Um, but yeah, that, that was a really hard one for me to swallow because I'd given so much of my time. Yeah, I hope we take that personally when it's such a personal Yeah, and it was a, re it was, it was a blow to me. I'm, I'm not going to lie. It was a real, real big blow. But I, I look back now with pride of everything that we had achieved. And I, I now know that that wasn't a failure, if that makes sense. Yeah. And you guys have both, you, well, until now, you were both at Atlantic for a long time. You've both been at the same place for a long time. It's only for a long time. Well, I'm still there. You're still there. <laughs> But how, how do you, I think a lot of people want to know, like, how do you know when is the right time to leave a company? Well, I, I've never left, so <laughs> but, um, I don't know. I, <laughs> when, when will you know? This is not the time to announce your resignation. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I don't know. I, I, think, or to, or I must do you think know? that you so, know. I just think that you'll, you'll know, I think. And I think maybe there's also pressure from people, like, oh, go to the next place, you need to hop jobs, and actually that can be quite uh, damaging to someone's career at I the start. Yeah, I think I... To hop too quickly. I think there were only three major labels, right? So you're in quite a small pool. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I've had a brilliant journey at Atlantic Records. You know, I, I came in the door as an intern and I'm now running the publicity department. And, you know, I, like I, the dream. I, I, feel really, I feel really proud of that. And it's been a lot of hard work. And, and you should be. And, and, but like you I say, be. I couldn't have done it, with, you know, without tap... There's, oh. That would never have happened. Well, honestly, and ultimately, that would never have happened. So... Um, she has been a brilliant mentor to me over my whole career. Even when you left, we kept in touch. You'd call me from South Africa. Um, you've been really, really important to me in, in my career growth. And I, you know, I really look up to you. But um, where were we going again? Well, I'm getting, I sorry, I'm getting too deep. I think that might be a really nice place to go on to our audience Q&A because that feels yeah. like such a nice... Yeah. Like, Anyone also, here who has questions, please. We don't want to be hogging the mic. <laughs> How good was that? We are so grateful to Tappy and Claire for coming on the podcast and also to all of the amazing audience. Uh, it was really, really good fun being able to meet... Such a vibe, wasn't it, with the cocktail? I know, that's true. There was a lot of alcohol drunk that night. We can't lie. I know, cause, um, because we couldn't buy it from the bar. There was like this cute little cocktail chuck that was going around. I swear everyone had about four drinks each. I know, it was great. And all done, you know, before finishing at 10. And by the way, just to reassure everyone, it was a education and work uh, clause that meant that we could have the event because it was a business thing. So no yeah. social distancing rules were broken during the making of this episode. Just so you know. <laughs> um, but anyway, Elle, what have you been up to this week? Can you tell me about some of your exciting interviews? Yeah, so I interviewed DEE, who is one of my all-time faves. I interviewed him five years ago when I was a little intern at GQ, age 22, whatever I was. And I remember like him driving me around with this like fat spliff in his hand down around Leytonstone to Jammer's basement. Yeah, I was gonna say he took you to Jammer's house, didn't he? That's yeah, so yeah. Um, so anyway, it was like really nice to revisit that whole kind of, like, to kind of see how much grime has changed in the last five years 
have to say as well, DW is one of the funniest interviewees I've ever spoken to. He is, because you know his music is just is he like... a proper chatterbox? Yeah, we ended, I was showing him pictures of my new kitten. He was asking me oh. the most absurd questions about, like, he's obsessed with fish and fishing and seafood. And, like, one of his new songs on his new album is called Catch the Day, where he just, like, lists all the, like, fish in the sea. And I made the mistake of telling him that I once caught 83 mackerel in one go on my granddad's boat. And he was like, oh, my God. Um, okay, so like exactly what percentage of fish are put back into the sea after they're caught? And he was like asking me again and again. I was like, I don't know, mate, just because I caught 83 mackerel, it's not me. And I'm like, I mean, that's like a weird anecdote. I definitely did not know that you'd ever been fishing and caught 83 mackerel. But... I know, I sang to the fish on the side of the boat and they just came and drove. That is so funny. In your... Yeah, he was telling me all about um, his daughters. Like, you know, he's launching a, um, a line of cocktails. Really? Nice. And then who else have you interviewed? Has there been anyone else that's been very exciting over the last couple of weeks? I have interviewed rising star Kamal, who I think some people won't have heard of. He's basically like how I would best describe him. It's like Billie Eilish, The Weeknd and Post Malone all rolled into one. He's like central R&B. Billie Eilish is a fan, right? I feel like I read like Dave and Billie Eilish are both fans, even though he's like still making music in his bedroom in between like homework and going to school. Yeah, exactly. He was meant to go to uni, to Sussex Uni to read English, but like obviously... Hey, that's not like me. Yeah, but music just took off for him. I have to say it was weird being like 27 years old and like Zooming an 18-year-old in their bedroom. I was like so scared there'd be like a Star Wars duvet cover or like socks <laughs> or like bowl of curry in his bed or something, but it was immaculate. Um, and yeah, I actually think he's going to be huge. There's this one song that I recommend people listen to called About the Party and also this other song, Blue. And you'll see what I mean. It's like that addictive, like, sad R&B earworm, you know, that people just love, like, yeah, feeling heartbroken too. So yeah, go check Kamal out, guys. What about you? You interviewed Hedy One. I did. That was for a hype cover, which was, like, pegged to... Um, Edna, which obviously his debut album did so well. It went to number one. Um, people have been like loving it. It was, yeah, it was good. I was meant to interview him in person, but um, that didn't happen. And so we did it like on the phone, although it was that weird thing, which by the way, side note, Zoom etiquette, like the worst when you go onto a Zoom and you have your camera on and then that the interviewee like doesn't put theirs on. No, that's so creepy. Posed and videoed. I just felt too awkward to turn it off, like, because I hadn't in the first few minutes. So I was like, oh, no, I, I just can't. like edged myself. I'd like put my finger over the like cameras very, you? <laughs> very slowly <laughs> until eventually. <laughs> yeah, he was, he had some interesting stuff to say, actually. Um, it was interesting hearing about what it was like to be in prison during a pandemic, because he was, uh, I think it was like Jan to the beginning of April. So lockdown came in like while he was there. When did he come out of prison? In April. Um, I think he came out early. So um, yeah, he like kind of saw the pandemic come in. And then since then, he's just been working really hard on the album. So can you describe this the amazing, I love the opening anecdote of your GQ piece where he gets picked up in it. Uh, yeah, no, I've seen like on Snapchat. So he, <laughs> when he left prison, he obviously, um, it was like a three, he says it was a three hour drive back. So he hired like a chopper to bring him home. So it was this kind of weird juxtaposition of him leaving prison with his like blue mask and then getting in this chopper getting out that to like the wheel of his Bentley putting on his like Patek Philippe covered in jewels yeah kind of encapsulates his crazy rise to the top I think and I guess also what you say what you said in in your piece is like this weird feeling of some of these rappers being stuck in two worlds yeah 
Yeah, it was really good. I really like. He was really thoughtful. Um, obviously, he's got like you know you've you've interviewed him. His kind of signature like slow, thoughtful draws. So relaxing to speak to. Um, but he was funny as well. I want to see him on the car map doing one of those bedtime stories. <laughs> How good would that be? Oh my god, yeah, that would actually that would actually be so good. I love the Matthew McConaughey one. That's amazing. On the kind of other end of the spectrum, um, obviously this being like Hedy's and him breaking through, I interviewed the all-time legend that is Nile Rogers which was amazing. He had like so many good stories. Uh, it, it's just, he's had, obviously had the most wild life ever, like from growing up in like Greenwich Village with all these like beatniks and bohemians, the early days of chic to like being the kind of king of disco in the eighties. Like, yeah, it was, it was really good. And like he shared the best piece of advice he'd ever been given when he was saying it. He was like, even saying this now makes me want to cry because it's so profound. It was like from his jazz tutor when he was younger and he'd been complaining about playing like, because um, he's like uh, jazz trained and obviously he's a like, sick instrumentalist and first and foremost was in an orchestra and doing jazz rather than like pop music. And then when he started sessioning, he went and complained, like he went to a jazz lesson and told his jazz tutor that he saying, oh, I've got to go and play Sugar Sugar by the Archies tonight. Like... God, I have to play this like BS pop music and his jazz tutor, who was obviously a proper like jazz guy, never had a hit record in his life, was avant-garde. And he was like, what do you mean? You mean to tell me that you don't think that's a good song or something? And he was like, well, no, it's, it's not respectable to play Sugar Sugar by the Art Tutors, is it? And he was like, any song that's in the top 40 is an amazing composition. So it's a great song, even if you don't like it. Like anything in the top 40 has spoken to the souls of a million people. And that's what you want to aim for with your music, basically. So it kind of like changed Nile's whole outlook and made him realise that that is like exactly what he wanted to do. He wanted to make... Oh my God, that's such a good music story. Music that like reached to as many... Yeah, like music that spoke to as many people as possible. And it was really, really cute. I highly, highly recommend reading the interview. And I'm not actually saying that because of me. I'm saying that literally solely because of Nile, because it's all his stories and it's big, like anecdotal chunks. So... One of my yeah, best right. memories of last or two summers ago was seeing Chic perform at House Festival. Oh, they're so good, aren't they? Yeah, I know. It's great, like, how this whole... I think it's, like, since 2013, really, with, like, Daft Punk, her, his whole back catalogue has been introduced to this new generation of fans, so... Well, go check that out and check out my DWE interview. Um, next episode, we've got another very special guest. It's Posty from GRM Daily, and he'll be talking to us all about setting up his game-changing platform. So please, please do make sure you tune in. We'd also really love if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, our editing is done by the fantastic Marlon Percy, who also does our music. And if you want to find us on social media, I'm on Ellie Halls One on Instagram. Kathleen is on, I always get this wrong, Kathleen m johnston dot m dot johnston yeah kathleen dot m dot johnston that's it we hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did and we'll see you next time